Thank you so much, Nicole and Francie, for sharing with us. Uh, the songs are very appropriate that they sang because we're going to be talking about God's peace today. And one of the songs describes the peace we have, and the other describe the means by which we attain that peace through Christ's sacrifice. Um, before we get into the text, I, I want to talk a little bit about why peace is important. Um, and that's, I think, particularly important in an American context to talk about why peace is important, because I don't think it's a, con- a concept that we always get a full grasp or understanding of. Uh, and to demonstrate that, I, I want to ask any of you, do any of you know the nickname of a Colt single-action army revolver? Peacemaker. A peacemaker. Yeah, the, 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 uh, I'm sure some of you all were wondering why I brought up guns in the evening service. But the reason why is it's nicknamed the Peacemaker. Now, any, any nation or country that names a Colt single-action army revolver a Peacemaker has some things to learn about peace. So I'm, I'm going to take a little bit longer than typical with the introduction because I, I think it's really uh, necessary for us to talk about why is peace important? And I want to give you two main reasons before we jump into our text why peace is important. Peace is important, first of all, because of who our God is. He has gone to great lengths, and this second song that was sang talks about the great lengths he went to, in order that we might be at peace with him. He has redeemed us in Jesus Christ. Uh, The cost of redemption for him was his son and his sacrificial death on the cross. That's a pretty high price to pay to bring peace, isn't it? Philippians 2 talks about the cost it took Christ in order to give up his life, going from being eternally with God in the heavenly places to being incarnated. After he was incarnated, that wasn't low enough. He became the lowest of the low, suffered humiliation and death. In a very shameful way. Why? In order that we might be at peace with God. He has renewed us by His Holy Spirit. Another way in which God demonstrates peace as a priority. The uh, Old Testament even even prophesies the reconciliation we have. Many of you will know Ezekiel 36.26, And I will give them a new heart and a new spirit, I will put within you, and I'll remove your heart of stone from your flesh, and will give you a heart of flesh. What's that talking about? That's talking about a work of God through His Holy Spirit to renew us that we might be the type of creatures that He can be at peace with. Salvation is a work of peacemaking. Removing of enmity and wrath from God and reconciling us and uniting us with God. In fact, uh, there's a great passage in this in Ephesians 2. And I, I tried just to get a small section of it, but the overall passage is just too beautiful. I, I want you to hear this and, and to think about the work of peace that God is bringing about and has brought about in us. This comes from Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What a marvelous description of the extent to which God has gone in order to bring about a peace between us and him. Philippians reminds us, as we've been going through it, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He is the one who initiates the reconciliation. He is the one who completes the reconciliation. This salvation that he has gone to such great lengths to bring about is a work of peace. Bringing peace to those of us who are by nature children of wrath. Peace is important because of heart who our God is. Our God is a God of peace who has gone to great lengths to provide his peace to those who believe. If we take God seriously, we have to take peace seriously. God the Father, through the redemption of Jesus Christ and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, has reconciled, has made peace with us and called us to be a peace people of peace. And this brings out the second reason why peace is important. The first reason why peace is important is because of who God is. The second reason why peace is important for those of us who are Christians is because who we, because of who we have been called to be. Because of who he is and because of who we have been called to be. We've been called to be people who look like our heavenly Father. We've been called to be men and women who imitate and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been called to be people who are controlled by the Holy Spirit. And all those things point us to be a people of peace. We're to be like him. We're called to be like him. And if he is a God of peace, therefore we should be a people of peace. First uh, Peter 1.16, one of the hardest Passages to even fathom as a commandment. First uh, Peter one sixteen, by the way, quotes something that's mentioned at least three times in the book of Leviticus. It says, "Be ye holy, for I am holy." Talk about a hard command to follow. We are called to be imitators of the character of God. By the way, you become like what you worship. You know that. 
If, if you don't believe me, sometime look up Psalm 115.8. It talks about the worshipers of idols and how they're worshiping these deaf and mute idols and how they eventually become like them. But that's a different sermon for a different day. Uh, the scripture tells us that we need to be like God. We're, we're called to imitate his character. Uh, and in particular, the peacemaking aspect, one place we see this is in Matthew 5.8 in the Beatitudes. It's fascinating. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Isn't that interesting? Now, um, a couple of weeks ago, I think I shared it with the evening service, but I shared it also with a a group I meet with on Monday mornings for for prayer. I I shared a story about how uh, there was one time when I was driving to the airport and I suddenly had the realization that I did not have my passport for international travel. And as I was sharing this with a group of guys, one of them just laughed and looked at me and said, you are your father's son. (laughs) Now, what does that mean? It means that he knew the character and actions of my father and that my father was an absent-minded individual. And when he saw that absent-minded character and action in my life, he said, you are your father's sons. Why? Because my character and actions were staying in line with the family tree. So why, why does it say they are called sons and God? Is because their character and their actions reflect the family values. If our God is a God who works out peace for us, if he has called us to be like that, then those of us who are his sons and his daughters will be characterized by actions that are working towards peace. Many other passages we could go to to talk about this. The peace is one of the fruits of the Spirit as well, and there are other passages we could look at. But all this is just a preview of what we're going to get into in this text. Why is peace such an important value? It's important because of who our God is. And it's important because of who He has called us to be. With that in mind, please look with me at Philippians 4. At Philippians 4, we're going to go at breakneck speeds for Sunday evening church and try and cover two whole paragraphs, uh, which is double our normal rate. Uh, But there's going to be the idea of peace that's expressed here. And the twofold paragraphs both relate to peace, experiencing peace. Uh, So the passage tells us how we experience peace. Isn't that something you long for? It's something I want. It's something I long for. How do we experience peace? Let's look together. Philippians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 2, we're going to read through verse 7. Hear the word of the Lord. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts 
and your minds in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to your word today. May we not just be hearers of the word. May we not just receive information, but may we be transformed and conformed to the image and likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that we would resolve our divisions with others within the church, and Lord, that we would experience peace in the church, as well as peace with you. We pray that we would get rid of the dissensions and the anxieties and the worries that keep us from abiding in your peace. Lord, we ask these things not because we are worthy or deserving, but because you are a good and a gracious God. We ask all these things in the beautiful, in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We have in in the beginning of this passage a a description of a couple of people. Uh, By the way, I I, I should preview where we're going a little bit. And in fact, almost all the book, by way of review kind of seems like it ties in, in into this one part, doesn't it? Because way back in, in chapter 1, there's this exhortation towards unity. Do you remember it all the way back there? It says, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see or whether I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm. And listen to his description of unity. Standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that not only should you believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Those descriptions of of unity, he is wanting them to live out the gospel. Why? By remaining united to one another. In John 17, we have what's generally called the high priestly prayer of Christ. And one of the interesting things in that prayer is that Christ prays for his disciples who are with him, but then he also prays for those who will come to know him later because the, the testimony of others. It's really unique because you actually get to read the Bible and see what Jesus is praying for you. You know one of the big themes in that prayer? He prays for his followers to be one as he and the Father are one. This idea of unity is extremely important. In chapter 2, when Paul gives examples of humility starting with Christ, one of the reasons why is in order that people might be united. He said, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. How? By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Again, a a description of unity. And he goes on to to talk about Christ as, as the extreme example of being humble for the benefit of others. And it almost just seems as though a lot of what Paul's been talking about throughout the book, about this unity and about the importance 
of humility and putting the needs of others in front of yourself kind of comes out here at this point, doesn't it? Because here he's addressing a threat to unity. Uh, the threat to unity he, he names, uh, he names it Euodia and Syntyche. Uh, and he, he says that these people are, are causing a division within the church. You know, I often think that, you know, if you could just get rid of the people, ministry would be so much easier. You know, there's all, if you get rid of the people, a lot of the problems go away. So here are these two people in the church, and what are they doing? They have some sort of disagreement. They have some sort of discord amongst them that is threatening the unity of the church. Now, one of the things we, we see is that problems in people go hand in hand. And, and this isn't just believers with outsiders. We have here very strong commendation of both of them. This says, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. Okay, so these, these are not just believers, but they're people who have partnered with Paul in ministry in order to serve. Yet their, their division is, is so dangerous that Paul has to kind of call them out in the scripture. You know, I, I feel like it'd be kind of rough for Yodia and Syntyche, because on the one hand, they get mentioned in scripture, and they get mentioned as partners of Paul, but this squabble that they're dealing with is the reason why they're mentioned. So, it, you know, it's kind of like, well, you know, if you're mentioned in the Bible, you may not want to be Yodia and Syntyche. They have this division that's threatening the church. Um, by the way, we're, we're talking about experiencing peace, and there are two ways in which we're, we hopefully experience peace. This is dealing with the horizontal. How do we experience peace with one another? This division is, is threatening the peace of the church. This degree, disagreement is threatening the peace of the church. It's threatening the unity to which they have been called. So one of the ways we experience peace is by practicing peace within the church. Uh, Paul also gives a, a quite a good roadmap for how to achieve peace, how to practice peace within the church. Notice what he says. He first of all calls them to agree in the Lord. So here he's, he's not advocating unity merely, merely for the sake of unity. He's not saying, uh, you know, just ignore your problems and move on. The, the source of the agreement is what they have in common in the Lord. And it, when you think about chapter 2, especially putting the needs of others in front of your own, it, it may be him reminding them, agree in the Lord. You remember the Lord who humbled himself by being born in a manger? You remember the Lord who humbled himself by taking the form of a servant while he was on earth? You remember the one who humbled himself even to the point of death, not only death, but death on a cross? Agree in that, Lord. A lot of times when we get into squabbles, when we get sideways with other believers, is probably because we're thinking too much of ourselves, too much about them, and too little about the Lord. He says, remember who your Lord is. He calls them to remember, you know the God you're serving, the God of peace, 
The God who sent his only son so that we might have peace with him, so that we might be reconciled to him. By the way, he he sent his son not just for you, but for the person you're squabbling with. So that both of you might enter into the life that Christ has. That's the person you're having a disagreement with. So he reminds them, agree, but don't just agree for the sake of agreeing. Agree in the Lord. There's a theological basis. There's a unity for this. And it's a unity that should exist within the body of the church. If everyone is setting aside their own needs, their own pride, unity becomes easier. Another way we practice peace is by finding it in the Lord, by focusing upon Him. Uh, Sometimes that's still difficult, though. Here Paul advocates some great advice. He advocates having a mediator. Do you notice that? He says, yes, and I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Here there, there's another person that Paul calls on. Some uh, scholars debate who it might be. It might, in fact, be Luke, the author of Acts, because we know he spent quite a lot of time at Philippi. It might be Lydia who hosted the church in her home at Philippi. So there's theories as to who, but we don't know who it is. He just calls them true companion. They would know who they are. He exhorts them to help these two women to reconcile. Oftentimes, it's important to have a mediator in order to accomplish reconciliation. If you get sideways enough with somebody, uh, you can argue about anything. You know what I'm talking about? When you get so frustrated, so angry at something, they could say something you agree with, but you're so mad at them that you disagree with what they're saying. Because you don't want to agree with anything they say. They could come up with great points, great arguments, but you aren't having it. Because it's coming from them. So what do you need? You need a mediator. You need somebody to go between. You need somebody to take some of the venom out of the conversation and move you towards reconciliation. Here Paul recommends a mediator to attain the peace within the church. We also have for us a great model of mediation in Christ Jesus, don't we? That's what the whole purpose of the Ephesians passage was, wasn't it? That God's righteous wrath against sin was against us. That our hearts were rebellious and wicked against Him. There was animosity against us. Between us. C.S. Lewis um, writes about his pre-Christian days that uh, when he was an atheist, he said, "Uh, I was absolutely convinced that God didn't exist, and I was very mad at him for not existing. (laughs) You know, there's distance and animosity. You know, uh, so there was animosity between us and God, even for the people who don't know that there is a God. He came to make peace for us. He was the one who mediated between us. Who took on our wrath. Gave us His his righteousness that we might be reconciled to God. Aren't you glad we had a mediator for us? Uh, There's again an exhortation to agree in in the Lord, to use a mediator to accomplish peace within the church. 
And then there's also a reminder of our purpose. The, the reminder of the purpose is his, his mentioning of the gospel. He says, you've labored side by side with me in the gospel. Don't, don't let this division between the two of you get in the way of your true purpose. Don't let this bickering, don't let this pridefulness get in the way of the fact that you're both supposed to be laboring for the Lord, for the promotion of His gospel, for the proclamation among the nations, for its proclamation within the church to build it up. He says, you've been laboring for this. Don't let your division distract you from your occupation. You need to get right with one another so you can get back to work. Get back to what you're supposed to be doing, laboring for the gospel. One of the things just mentioned kind of as a side here is whose names are in the book of life. So again, we're assured these are believers that are causing these problems. It's not outsiders. This is an insider issue. He doesn't really explain the book of life, but um, there's a cultural concept that they probably would have been thinking of somewhat similarly uh, that, that may be in reference here. This is Philippians is written before Revelation, where we have more about the Lamb's book of life and things like that. One of the things we do have, if you'll remember all the way back to Philippians 3, is the mention that their citizenship is in heaven. And if you'll recall, we talked about how important citizenship was to a Philippian. That that city had special rights, special privileges under Rome as for those who had citizenship in the city. For them, it was as, the, as though Philippi was actually in Rome. And therefore, they had tax-exempt status if they were citizens. They had special rights to bring things to trial uh, citizenship was great. I mean, it's greater than our citizenship. We still have to pay taxes. You know, they, they had all sorts of rights and privileges. So, but in the cities, they would have a list, a book that contained the names of citizens. And whenever somebody did something honorable or commendable, um, if they weren't a citizen, they would come and they would write their name in. They would highlight it. If, something, if somebody did something real shameful or committed a crime, they would go and scratch their name out. Now, one of the things that the, the book would say, though, is who are, who are the members? Who are the in-group? Here he's saying, your names are in the book of life. You've been written in as, as citizens of heaven. Now, unlike the book in the city, their names can't be scratched out. Because remember what Philippians said, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Their salvation in all aspects of it is a work of God. That in justification, in sanctification, in glorification, the three aspects of salvation, God has saved them, God is saving them, God will save them. And in all those aspects, it is a work of God. So they're reminded that they can experience peace by practicing peace within the church. They do this by agreeing in the Lord, by the use of a mediator, and by the reminder that their objectives should be centered upon the gospel and not themselves. In verse 4, Paul switches gears from this specific issue 
to reminding people how they might enjoy the peace of God in their own lives. He says, as has been mentioned many times, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Uh, we've, we've, we've talked about joy several times. It's something that shows up at the beginning of chapter 3. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. He, throughout this book, he keeps reminding them of joy, 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 joy. Joy despite the divisions. Joy despite the persecutions. A joy that has its root, its source, its fount in God. By the way, that's how they can rejoice in all their sufferings. Um, I, I had a unique opportunity not too long ago to go to a worship service of a persecuted people group. And I, I was kind of curious what it was going to be like. There are about 60 people uh, crammed into a room that's normally used as a small apartment. They're all crammed in, and I, I came into the service, and I was kind of curious, because most of them had been persecuted from their, for their faith and fled from their home country. And then they were still in a place where it is dangerous to be a believer, uh, they, they fled from a really bad country to a country that's just kind of bad to be in if you're a believer. And so I was kind of curious, what's their worship service going to be like? I mean, we're in an apartment complex, and people either side or up or down or out the window can probably hear what's going on in here if they're loud enough. So I was kind of curious, are they going to tone it down? Are, are they going to do like the whisper worship service? And I, I was real curious, you know, I was kind of, waiting to see what type of worship do you have in a closed country among people who have experienced persecution. Let me tell you, the, 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 when the music started playing, they started belting it out. They started singing deep and soulfully together. Why? They weren't worried about the persecution. Many of them had been through persecution before. Just be another time around. No. Because their, their joy wasn't found in that. Their joy wasn't found in their comfort, in, in how they were feeling or things like that. Their joy was rooted in the Lord. So they could go through these suffering, they could go through pain, they could go through these things, yet still worship the Lord. By the way, the, the, the church in Philippi should know this. Because if you remember back in Acts, Paul gets arrested, thrown in the innermost prison, and what does he and his companions do? They sing. They start a little worship service in the innermost prison. Then what happens? The earthquake comes and, and everybody's chains are set free and the prison guard's about to jump on his sword to commit suicide to get out of the consequences for it and to show that he had nothing to do with it. And Paul says, hold up, we're still here. You remember his response, what must I do to be saved? He recognized that they were free, but he wasn't. By the way, when I was talking to this persecuted group, they said there was a group of them that uh, the chief of police kicked out of prison because he was afraid that they would convert all the other jailers and policemen to their position. (laughs) 
because they found their joy in the Lord, not in their own circumstances. It's such a difficult thing for us to even conceive because in our culture, our mindset, our joy is found in blessings, in comfort. And it's of the things around us. It's of the things of this world. He's saying you've got to find a different source for your joy. You've got to find it in the Lord. He has to be the root of it. It says rejoice in the Lord always. The only way you can always rejoice is if your joy is in the Lord, by the way. If it's in circumstances, circumstances change. Health fails. Retirement accounts get drained. Difficulties come up. Relationships break up. There are all these things that can ruin your earthly joy, but if you place your joy in the Lord, you have a secure place from with which to return to it over and over and over again. It's a command so important, he, rejoice, he, he repeats it. Next he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That is, not just the way you treat people within the church, but outside the church. I hope that is something that the church is known for. Uh, but I believe increasingly, increasingly it is not. We're, by the way, we're living in times where vitriol is increasing, where antagonism towards others is increasing. And usually the church jumps right in on the fray and tries to yell louder. Saints, we need to be known for our reasonableness, our calmness, our gentleness, the care with which we handle situations and people. And I've seen some of the church people of the church's Facebook posts, and they do not always reflect that attitude. Saints, you need to make sure that what, not only what you're arguing for, but the way in which you are arguing for it is reflecting the character of the God we serve. He's a God of peace. He's a God of love. He's a God of persuasion. Yes, He hates sin. There's no doubt about that. But the way in which he handles sinners is very often the way in, different than the way in which we handle sinners. The Lord is at hand. This is uh, referring to God and his uh, nearness to us. Aren't you glad that God is near? It's also a, a reference, if you remember back, that uh, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is at hand. His return is imminent. He is both nearby and nearly here. I've got to get moving for us to cover, like I said, the, the two whopping paragraphs we're trying to cover. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication... With thanksgivings, let your requests be made known to God. Here Paul is giving a cure for anxiety. In order to experience peace, you've got to get rid of anxiety, don't you? When you see somebody who's anxious, when he, somebody who's worried, somebody who's doubtful, they're not being controlled by peace, are they? They're not abiding in it, are they? Peace and anxiety can't coexist. 
So here he's giving people a remedy for anxiety. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Well, then what am I supposed to do? Because I still have worries. I still have problems. I still have issues. All these difficulties still come up. What am I supposed to do with them? He says, but in everything. In some things, no. In everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. By the way, in that passage, he's basically giving different words for prayer. He says, but by prayer, but in everything by prayer and supplication. What's supplication? It's a form of prayer. With thanksgiving. What's thanksgiving? Well, it's a type of prayer. Let your request. Well, what are the requests? They're prayers. Be made known to God. He's saying, you need to pray, and 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 you need to pray. What do we do with anxieties? We pray to God. We give supplications, asking Him for what we need. We give thanksgiving. By the way, that's one of the important ones. Don't miss out on that. Romans one twenty one says that a lack of gratitude is the first step to idolatry. Remember the Israelites who experienced all these blessings from God, all they saw all these great miracles, and then what happened? They got somewhere, and the next difficulty came up, and what would they do? They would grumble, they would complain, they'd say, where's God? He's led us out here to die. Why? They had a short account of what God had done for them. They did not remember to give thanks to Him. Scripture tells us to remember things. That's scary for somebody with my mental capacity. Scripture tells us to remember the good things He's done for us. Uh, there was a, one, a time about two years ago uh, when I was going through a job transition, and I was getting real nervous, real anxious about all the things going on. I was worried I wouldn't have a job. I'd be unemployed. My family would go starving, you know, things, you know real calm things like that. And as I was worried and anxious about all these things, I, I, I had to stop and force myself to remember the ways in which God had been good to me in the past in order that I could have confidence in the present. So I went back and said, okay, is there any reason for me to worry? I said, well, he provided me this job. I've never gone hungry. I've never had any major financial issues he hasn't dealt with. I've had tough times. There have been times where the bank account dipped pretty low, but nothing awful. He provided this job, and he did it through ways I didn't expect or, or experience. You know, who's to say he's not going to provide the next job that way? It was weird. It, I, I went back, and I decided to write, a, write out a thank you psalm to the Lord for providing the job that I was currently in, even though I was looking for the next job at the time. And as I wrote that out, something changed in me. No, no circumstances changed, but instead of being anxious, I was actually kind of looking forward to, like, okay, what's God going to do here? Let's tell you how he's, going to, how he's going to act. He's worked me in a corner, but he's worked me out of corners before. Let's see how he's going to act. Let's see how he's going to move and how he's going to accomplish his purposes. I wasn't anxious anymore. I was hopeful. I was confident. Why? Because I thanked him appropriately for what he had done for me. Saints, if you're, if you're anxious, I would, I would really encourage you, go back and thank the Lord for all he's done for you. Look at the ways in which he's blessed you. Write them out. 
so that you can look back on them the next time you're feeling this way. Uh, many people talk to me about a prayer journal, and they'll kind of forget, because you'll, you'll pray about something until it's answered, and then you'll kind of forget about it. You know, it's kind of like looking for something. You know, the, it always bothers me the saying, you know, it's always the last place you look. Well, of course it is, because nobody keeps looking after you find something, you know? <laughs> But unfortunately, our prayers are like that sometimes, too. We're praying for something until we get it. And then we forget to be thanking Him for it after we receive it. This type of attitude and, and, and prayers in our life can be very detrimental. Be sure to thank God for things. What He's given to you, what He's demonstrated to you. Prayer is the antidote for anxiety says to let your request be made known to him. And all these different things, I believe, it says in everything. This is pretty comprehensive in terms of the content that we bring before God in prayer. I want to read a quote to you uh, that talks about this. Tell God all that is in your heart. As one unloads one's heart, its pleasures and its pains, to a dear friend. Tell him your troubles that he may comfort you. Tell him your joys that he may sober them. Tell him your longings that he may purify them. Tell him your dislikes that he may help you conquer them. Talk to him of your temptations that he may shield you from them. Show him the wounds of your heart that he may heal them. Lay bare your indifference to good, your depraved taste for evil, your instability, Tell him how self-love makes you unjust to others, how vanity tempts you to be insincere, how pride disguises you to yourself as to others. Prayer is the opportunity for us to lay ourselves bare before God and trust Him rather than ourselves. What happens when we do this? Verse 7 says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice we're, we're not guaranteed answers. When we're going through trouble or distress and we say, why is this happening? We aren't, we aren't guaranteed that. God never promises to tell us why we go through something. But He does promise us that we can have peace in the midst of it. Notice it's not a peace that comes from understanding, but that surpasses understanding. We see this in the book of Job, don't we? Job's crying out to the Lord, wondering why he's suffering. By the way, we know why he's suffering. It's because there was a heavenly accusation against God that he was only worthy of worship and honor and praise as long as he blessed people. There's an accusation that the only reason why people would follow God is because they believe the prosperity gospel. And Job becomes an earthly test case for the heavenly accusation that God is not worthy of worship. But there's no sign in the book of Job that Job ever finds that out. He complains, he lays his heart bare, he waits, and he receives an answer from the Lord that is God revealing more of himself to Job. You ever notice that? When God encounters Job in the book of Job, he doesn't say, okay, here's why you went through it. No, he tells him, this is who I am. 
I'm the one who created the world. I'm the one who formed all these things. I'm the one who controls all things. I'm the one who provides justice over the earth. He describes himself to Job, and, and Job says, that's it. I'm okay. I don't have any more questions. Why? Because he knows who God is now. The comfort comes not from knowing our, about, more about our circumstances or why we're going through it. It comes from a deeper knowledge of our God. So when I'm troubled in my circumstances, it's usually because I don't have an accurate picture of who my God is and what He has done for me. Cast your cares upon Him. He gives you a peace, the peace of God, the peace from God. It surpasses understanding. And what does it do? It guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When you have the peace of God, you're protected from a lot of things. Worry, care, anxiety, stress. The peace guards us from those things by reminding us of who our God is and what we have called to be. He has made peace with us that we might be a people of peace in a war-torn world. The world doesn't know peace because the world doesn't know Him. Saints, abide in His peace. Enjoy His peace. Practice His peace amongst the people of God. Enjoy the peace that He has provided to you until He comes again to restore and to claim what is His. Amen.